I want to take a second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. If you have any optical needs at all, give Cody a call directly at 702-847-8747. You can also send him an email at optics at GoHunt.com. You can also text him at 602-399-3699. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. Also remind you guys, we're in application season. The GoHunt Insider is the best Western hunting resource tool out there. It's got the best draw odds and harvest statistics available. You can go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. Just by signing up, you're going to get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card. I want to thank GoHunt.com. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, Kuyu.com. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Phonescope.com, I want to thank them. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. OnXMaps.com, use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount on all orders at OnXMaps. And then ApexMunition.com. Apex Ammunition, it's the home of the TSS, the Tungsten Supershot. That is the shotgun shells that I'm going to be using on my upcoming turkey hunts. Go to apexmunition.com to find out more. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a two-time world champion elk caller. We've got Joel Turner from Eatonville, Washington. And um, Joel, actually, I was a judge in the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation calling contest for three years and um, actually have heard Joel call in person. And um, he's a fantastic elk caller. And um, he's uh, uh, placed in the top uh, for a bunch of times. Um, he's won the worlds twice and he's just uh, one of the top elk callers in the country. And I've been anxious to get Joel on this podcast because uh, Joel is a wealth of knowledge. Um, he has uh, started a company called Iron Mind Hunting. And he talks about instinctive elk calling, uh, target panic and shot control, uh, tactical bow hunting, and he also has a guide school to manage uh, stress levels, meaning uh, teaching guides how to manage their clients' stress levels and probably their own. Um, And he's also got a a system called controlled processed shooting. And I've known Joel for uh, quite a while, and I know him to be a very particular person. And uh, we share that same quality where we both are students of the game and we want to know everything there is to know about it and um, I think I'm going to learn a lot in this podcast episode and I hope you hope the listeners do too. Joel how you doing buddy? Doing fantastic thanks for having me Jay. Yeah absolutely I've been uh, ever since I started this podcast uh, I've had you on my mind to have you on here 
And, um, you know, being a judge in that contest and, you know, hearing you call, you know, you do so many calls so well. Um, one particular call that I really like of yours is, is your cow call and your calf sounds and how nasally you get. And one of the things that always, um, you know, and I watch a lot of your YouTube videos and such as well, you have a lot of control. Um, and it seems like your control and even on the big stage, um, you know, you, you have a presence, you have confidence, and you call with confidence. Where does that come from, Joel? Well, my dad bought me my first mouth read when I was 12 years old. And to tell you the truth, Jay, I think I got lucky because I put that call in my mouth and I arched my tongue and I put the tip of my tongue in the back of my bottom teeth and I started making sound with it instantly. And a lot of people, when they first start out in this game of calling, especially with a mouth read, they put that thing in there and if they're not very, very careful they get mouth habits very quickly. Anytime that we learn a movement, we go from a cognitive stage to a practice stage to an automatic stage. And with mouth movements and tongue movements, it happens very, very quickly. You go through that progression. So if somebody puts that call in their mouth and then starts making sound out of it a particular way, and then sticks with that way of doing it, and maybe incorrectly, maybe in my case I got lucky and did it correctly, at least in my opinion correctly, if they don't change their business, they will get mouth habits, and then to change that requires them to actually call in a mirror. So the uh, where it comes from is is, I guess, a little bit of luck, and and then figuring out the science of a mouth read. What does it take to build a mouth read? And I build my own mouth reads. And what does it take in this call to get that nasally sound? And, I mean, are you using a call that fits your mouth? And if it doesn't, if the edges of that frame don't get all the way up to the base of your teeth, you will not get the right seal. And if you are using the tip of your tongue up against the edge of the reed, you won't get into the right vibration range. So there's certain things about these calls that you've got to be very careful with when you start so that you start the right habits because those movements of your tongue and air control and all that are going to become automatic very, very quickly quicker than almost any other movement because you're constantly using your mouth and your tongue and your air control to speak. So you have to be really careful with it. Would you say it's similar to maybe starting a kid or anybody golfing and starting with a club that's, you know, eight inches too long, the grip's too big, and they have to start learning how to hit a golf ball with a with a piece of equipment that is completely not set up correctly for them. It, it is similar, but the movements to to make a mouth read work and change pitch and stay raspy if you need it raspy or whatever are so minute that it's very difficult to evaluate the movement. That's why it's it's hard to teach somebody how to call because the movements are. Ext I mean, we're talking a half a millimeter of difference. 
in in tongue tension is going to change completely how the call sounds. So, you know, people have to also find a call that works for them. There's lots of manufacturers out there. You have to find one that fits like I was talking about first, but then you need one that has the right stretch. And there's a there's a certain test that I have people do, you know, when I make somebody a prototype call, I have them do a test with that call and then I know what they need in their stretch. Joel, I'm going to come back to all of the outcalling stuff, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background. Um, I know you're in law enforcement, and I know you've, um, I, I believe you've done everything from instruction to uh, in the field. Give me a little bit of background on, on yourself. Well, I've been a police officer for 14 years, and for almost 11 years now I've been, well, actually over 11 years now, I've been on the Thurston County Regional SWAT team as the sniper team leader and the lead firearms instructor. I was also the lead firearms instructor for the state of Washington at the Basic Law Enforcement Academy uh, full-time for three years, but I've been an instructor there since 2003. And uh, that's... You know, I work patrol now, but I do a lot of instruction on the side and uh, for my business and also for different agencies around the state and in other states. Awesome. So teaching is right up your alley. That's what you're good at. As, and I don't mean that. I mean that in every bit of the positive sense. Well, I, I really enjoy teaching. I like to make people think. And I like to think that I'm a good student and I learn from my mistakes and that has that has uh, really helped me in not only my elk calling and elk hunting and hunting in general but also in law enforcement and instruction and and also the the development of that controlled process shooting methodology so you got to be a good student. I mean, you said it before in the in the introduction of this podcast of being a student of this game, and uh, that is huge. Being a good student and knowing how to learn from your mistakes. I'd like for you to demonstrate some cow calling for us, if you happen to have a read around. I do, and and then I'm going to have you do some bugling, and I may ask you a few questions here and there. Okay, so. Anything in particular you're looking for, or just some mewing and estrus calls and voice mews and all that stuff? Yeah, you can either just blow a bunch of calls, or you can demonstrate and say you're going to do this call, that call, or whatever. You, you pick it. What I'd like to demonstrate first is that test, the test that I have people do on their mouth read. And this is a test that anybody can do on any mouth read. This is going to tell you whether your fit is right and whether the stretch is right. And what most people do when they put a call in their mouth is they put it in there and they read the back of the package and they start in on E-E-E-O-O-O-U-U-U, right? E-U. Well, when you do that as a human being, you're using your lips. And that elk don't use lips for air control as humans do. So what you want to do with a call when you first put it in your mouth and you think you get it in the right spot up at the base of your teeth and then the tip of your tongue is against the back of your bottom teeth or lower is you simply try to make a tone with it. it sounds something like this.
when you can make that tone and you can keep it even, there you're starting to build your tongue control. And then as one unit, you start to drop your lower jaw and your tongue goes with it. So your call needs to follow your air path all the way to zero volume. Sounds like this. So this would be the complete test. Looking for dead spots in the call. So it goes all the way to zero volume. That, that call should follow the air path all the way to zero. And once you have that, then you just start to shorten that entire system. And then you eventually put that into a cow call. So I'll make it long, and then it'll get shorter and shorter and shorter, and then it'll finally be a cow mew. some doubles there, right, where you're doing that wavy kind of estrus cow call, and then a voice mew where you're just using the G sound in your throat to actually add another vibration range to that call, and, you know, you can call it an estrus call or an excited call or whatever you want, but it sounds, I have called back and forth with cows using that particular voice mew, sounds like this again. <coughs> <coughs> it sounds as close as I think you can get to an elk. So those are just a few cow sounds that, that I like to do out there. One of the calls that I really like that you do is that real, that calf, that, can you do some of that calf sure. sound, that real kind of short <clears throat> and high pitch? Sure. I love your, your calf sound. So with that calf sound, again, it's the same sequence of movements with your tongue it's just more pressure more pressure up against the reed something like that that's great stuff now joel in the woods um are you always using a mouth diaphragm or do you use an external call i use only mouth reads Okay, so all of your elk calling, every bit of it is mouth reads. Every bit of it is mouth reads, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'd like to go in to have you demonstrate a little bit of bugling, um, and I'll let you just walk through and, and demonstrate whichever you'd like, whatever sounds you want to make. Okay, so in the bugling, uh, when you have a mouth read that you're selecting for bugling, when you, you know, if you pull that package off of the shelf and you look at that mouth read, you need to make sure that it doesn't have any wrinkles in the latex. There's no mouth read out there that has been designed with wrinkles in it that I know of. So if it's got wrinkles in it, something happened in the manufacturing process. Do not select that call. Weed through them and find another one that has no wrinkles. And also, if you're looking at this call from the top and you're looking at the very front edge of the reed, for better bugling, you're looking for a kind of a smiley face that's got to have like a smile at the top of it. It shouldn't be straight across. 
for a cow call straight across because if it's straight across, it won't break through the notes and you won't get that break, that chop in the middle of your cow call. But for bugling, you want to be able to go through the notes so that little curve at the top of that reed is what you're looking for. So let me let me make sure I understand you. If, if you put the latex facing up, it's in your hand. Yep. A cow call is straight latex, yes. and for a better bugling call, you want a little bit of a horseshoe. Absolutely. Okay. That means that back tension has been pulled into the reed before it was clamped. And if it's straight across, uh, it creates too flat of a surface on your tongue and it won't break through the notes near as easy as one that has that curve. So with bugling, there's all kinds of bugling out there, as you well know. I only use a couple of particular bugles for my for hunting, but uh, I'll uh, I'll put a few out here. These are mainly challenge bugles. <laughs> challenge bugles and you know I'm sure we'll get into the whole bull call and cows bugle thing but um, you know a lot of people the bugles that they do are challenge bugles and I know that chuckles sound really cool but they are completely unnecessary in my opinion for calling bulls in because they mean a challenge bulls don't usually do that when they're doing a bull call and cows bugle so, you know, it may sound good, but you got to know what you're saying out there. Otherwise, you're spooking elk that don't need to be spooked. You're not giving them any reason to come in, and, and I'm sure that we're going to get into the science of that here shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to hear the bull calling cow bugle. So the bull... And wait, before we hear that, I want to hear why you think that this is so effective. I watched your YouTube video, and I encourage the listeners to go on uh, Joel's uh, YouTube channel and check this video out. The Bull Calling Cows Bugle, uh, I first heard about it from Elknut, Paul Metal. And, you know, he was talking about it's the sound of a, of a bull talking to the cows. And I'm thinking, okay, that makes that makes sense to me, and I I wasn't necessarily employing it too much because I hadn't I hadn't made the connection. I wasn't being a very good student, but as a police officer, I get to see a lot of primal behavior, if you will, and you know I get to go to a lot of bar fights, so I I go to these bar fights, and it's it's never two males just deciding that they're bored and they want to knock each other out. It's, you know, 99.9% of the time, somebody has said something inappropriate to another male's female. You know, some guy says something to this guy's wife or girlfriend, 
and a brawl starts. And it always it starts with some talking. Then that other male, the one that has the female, challenges, right, says something back. And then it's on. They come together and they fight. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, I, I always try to think one level deeper. What is what is the real core core thing that's happening here? And when humans fight, it's very primal. You see elevated heart rates, you see, you know, perspiration, you see clenched fists, all the very aggressive stuff. It's the same thing that you see in the mammal world of elk. So if you go in and you get close to a herd of elk and you throw out a challenge bugle, only once in a while will you get that bull to come to you to fight. Because humans don't necessarily work that way. Mammals don't necessarily work that way. We're lovers, not fighters. We only fight if we have to. Elk are the same way. Elk are the same way, but with no societal limits, no morals, no ethics, no religion, none of those things. They are completely primal. So, you know, you you go in and you challenge Bugle, only, only that bull that is of the crazy mindset at that particular time, and, and bulls get that way sometimes, and sometimes people get lucky enough to call them in using a challenge bugle. But more often than not, if you want to elicit a response from every bull that has a female, every bull that has a cow, then you have to know how to go in and talk to the ladies. And when you do this bull calling cow's bugle, it's a very specific sound. It's short. It's a little screamy. There's no chuckles at the end of it. I've never heard a bull do this sound with chuckles. Now, many hunters have heard this sound. When they cow call to a bull, the bull, especially if he has cows, is naturally going to do this bugle back to try to call in that cow. But when you get close to a herd and you do this sound, you are talking directly to his females. He has no option. And I always use this analogy. Like, Jay, are you married? Yes. Wife's name? Jean. Jean. So, Jay, if, if you and I are in a parking lot and we're 100 yards apart, and I say, hey, Jay, I'm going to kick your tail, right? You mm-hmm. instantly start to size me up. As another mammal male, you start to think of your options. And, you know, you have fight or flight. And nine and a half times out of ten, you're going to just leave. Maybe you're crazy at that time, and maybe you're really mad at the world or something, and maybe you do come over. Maybe you do decide to come over, but not very often would you do that. That's why people don't call in that many elk. But if you and Gene are together in the parking lot, and I'm 100 yards from you, and I say something extremely inappropriate to Gene, like, hey, come on over here and let's make a calf. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a whole new level of aggression for you. If you want to stay with Gene and your whole goal is the proliferation of your own species, if you want to stay with Gene that gives you a calf every single year, you are going to protect that. 
the only way you can protect it is to remove me from the area. So this call, this one sound, has produced 24 herd bulls for me in the last three years over four different states. And I don't consider it a call unless they come within 40 yards. And they usually come a heck of a lot closer than that. The beauty of this technique is there's no hang-up spot. When you're cow calling bulls in, they're always going to stop as soon as they can see the calling location. And we can talk about that setup later. But with this system, like if you started across that parking lot to me, Jay, you're not going to stop. Once you have committed to that, you are coming all the way. And that's exactly what these bulls do. You go in, you get tight on the cows, you do the bull calling cows bugle, he will respond with a challenge bugle with all kinds of chuckling in it. He'll scream and you'll be able to hear the intensity of it. You know that if he does that, he's coming. Of those 24 herd bulls, I've only had to bugle twice, five times. And every one of those bulls stop to rake a tree and while they're raking the tree i hit him with the same bugle again and they lose their mind <laughs> so again the sound's very short very screamy kind of it usually ends in you know what we in the industry call a lip ball but it's usually just a bull going a bit over pressure so it sounds like this <laughs> It's very short. As soon as you go into the high-pitched portion of it, you drop it right off. And, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of bulls do this. And there are some slight variances, but usually what doesn't vary is the length. No, there's no chuckles, and the length is usually about the same. Within that one to one and a half seconds... There can be some variance, but very rarely is it long. I've never heard it to be long. It's usually short. I'll do it for you one more time. That is talking directly to the ladies, and that will elicit that challenge response from that bull. It removes his options. He gets all puffed up, stiff-legged, and he walks all the way in, no hang-up spots. He is now hunting you. And so in the last three years, you've had 24 herd bulls come in inside of 40 yards doing that exact call, and you've only had to call twice, five times. Right. Out of, out of those 24. Out of those 24. So 19 times, you've made one call, and the bull's been inside of 40 yards. Yep. I've done it as far as 120 yards from the cows. I've done it as close as 10 yards from the cows. What do the cows do when you do it? They do not care. You can bugle. They might lift their head, but that bull, I mean, and it does, you don't have to get 50 yards from the whole herd. Get 50 yards from one of them. That's all it takes. They'll treat every one of them like it's their their precious thing, right? <laughs> so it's a I I don't hunt I don't just hunt elk now. I hunt situations. I hunt herd bulls. You know, a lot of guys say, Well, there's so many eyes looking at you and he's not gonna come out of his cows. 
Well, he's not if you go in and talk to the bull. But if you go in and only talk to the ladies, the more cows, the better. Okay, Joel. So three years ago, you started using this call. And before that, you had had quite a bit of success calling elk in and bugling elk in and cow calling elk in. Mm -hmm. And now it sounds like you just need to take one call and not even worry about cow calling. Well, you do need to worry about cow calling for a couple specific situations. Number one, if the bull doesn't have any cows, he doesn't have that protective instinct, right? He wants to be with a cow, so that's where your cow calling is going to come in handy. But very specifically, you have to treat it, you have to always revert all of your calling back to a couple of principles. One of those principles being that bull is always going to stop as soon as he can see the calling location. And if you know that, you will change how you set things up. Because what most people do is they set the shooter first, and then they run backwards, and they go, okay, you sit here, I'm going to go back 70 yards and call. But if they set up the shooter first, and then they go call, they haven't established where the hang-up spots are, and they're constantly the victim of this principle. So to reverse that, you set up your calling location first. And then you look out ahead of you and you go, okay, where is that bull going to be able to see this location? And that then is your hang-up spot. You send your shooter forward on the elk side of the hang-up spot. Calling bulls into a hang-up spot is extremely easy. Calling a bull past the hang-up spot is unnatural and goes against principles and instinct. That's why it's so difficult to do. I know um, Chris Rowe, I've had him on the podcast several times, mm-hmm. and he talks about the doorway. Mm-hmm. And I think you are you, you, he's using the term doorway, and you're using the term hang-up spot. Mm-hmm. And I believe them to be the same two things. Sure. And so what you're saying is a lot like what he's saying in that you need to establish where the doorway is because you know he's going to come to that point and stop. Yes. So if you have the shooter basically set up on that doorway, uh, your your setups are going to be much more effective. What if you're by yourself? If you're by yourself, wherever you're going to call from, that's your calling location. Establish where your hang-up spots are. Do your cow series and then move quickly past your hang-up spots. If you snap a big branch between calling location and shooting location, you just established a new calling location. If you snap a big stick, that bull will zero in on that sound, not necessarily where you did your cow sounds from because he thinks you have moved. So if you do break a big stick, pause for a second, look out ahead of you. New hang-up spots are established from a new location. Now you have to move past those. So it's a constant, you know, stick and move. You're calling and then you're moving to get, but move with purpose, you know, move past that hang-up spot. It's not about sneaking there. You need to call and get there because he may be coming very quickly. Now, I another situation I use cow calls in is for relocation. So I do a very 
high-pitched, high-frequency location bugle. I get to a frequency that makes your ears ring. Once you locate a bull using that high frequency, your next job is just to figure out if he's got cows or not. So I move closer to that bull, and I do a cow call, a very loud cow call, to relocate him. I don't bugle to relocate him, because if he's a herd bull, I'm just another bull coming to get his cows. I've moved closer. He doesn't like that, right? Gives him that option, the fight or flight option. So I move in closer within a couple hundred yards, and I cow call to relocate him. It's non-threatening. That bull is then going to tell you if he's got cows or not. If he hits you back with a bull calling cows bugle, and you cow call again, he hits you back with it, and he has not moved, he's a herd bull. He's got cows. If you do your estrus series, and I can do one of those for you, if you do an estrus series, and the next time that bull bugles, he bugles more than once, and he is getting closer to you, you can bet that he's a satellite bull. So you need to set up your calling location, establish your hang-up spots, do your estrus series, and move. Let me hear your estrus series. So that's, you know, some, there's some doubles, some wavy doubles in there. There's some voice mewing. Uh, there's some regular mewing. It's just, it's more excited is all you're really trying to get to. I've heard cows do every, as you have, you know, heard them do all kinds of craziness when they're in estrus. So there's really no call there that is wrong to do. You're just being very excited on a cow call, and you certainly don't have to do that with a mouth read. It can be done with any of the bite and blow calls, the open reads, whatever you have. It's just you have to have excitement and emphasis in those calls. What do you think the single biggest mistake hunters make when they're trying to call elk in? The sing Well, I think there's two. I think there's two huge mistakes that I see on a constant basis. Number one is going in close to a herd and doing a challenge bugle, hoping for an attitude. Number two is going in close to a herd and cow calling because cows of any, or female, I should say, females of any mammal species do not like other females that want to procreate with their man. Think about it in human terms. When was the last time a bunch of female ladies got together in a group and talked nicely about another female that wants to <laughs> procreate with their man? It doesn't happen. A herd is very protective of their bull. So if you go in and you get close to these cows and you cow call, they are not going to allow their bull. They're running the herd. That bull is not running the herd. Those cows are not going to allow that bull to go play with the hussy in the bushes. So a lot of times if people get in tight and they cow call trying to pull the bull out of all of his cows, those cows block him and they take him away. Most people think it's the bull taking the cows away. Not the case. 
when you get in tight and you cow call, he'll bugle back to you. But then the next bugle you hear is farther away and farther away. It's a lot like a hen turkey. Absolutely. You rarely see a hen turkey allow another hen that's an outsider to come into the group. They, uh, you know, it's... They live with each other every day. They know exactly what everybody sounds like. They will not let their man go over there. So those are the two biggest things that I see because they are against instinct. So that's... So in all the years that you've elk hunted, this bull calling cow's bugle, it's like the light went off and you're like, totally stoked for season to start because you want to try it again it, absolutely i i have so much confidence in this sound because it it just works with instinct and i have extreme confidence in it if i i mean i call in i i say almost but i can't think of one that i have not called in when i get the situation right when i'm able to get in close on those cows and I blow that bull calling cow's bugle. He, they always respond with this big challenge bugle, and they've got no other choice other than to come in. It's, it's the only thing that I've ever done in the elk calling woods that has been that close to 100% successful. Do you feel like people can be as effective with that call even if they don't have quite as good of control as you have and make as quality of sound? Do you think it's more the length of call and and if they can match the length and, and get it pretty close, do you think they will have every bit of success because no elk sounds the same? I abs- or, do, or do you think that, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you think that because you can blow it so well, that's why you have the success. I think it's because of the framework of that call, not not because I can blow a mouth read decently. It's it's difficult for humans, seemingly, to bugle that short because we want to put a whole bunch of stuff in there, right? But mm-hmm. I think absolutely people can be just as successful as I am with it. I have friends that have done it time and time again that that don't sound quite as good on a on a mouth read or a you know any any type of external read call but they because they're able to make it short with no chuckles think about this a lot of guys say man I went in there and I did this little spike bugle and he came walking right in or running right in screaming Boy, it must have been because I sounded really small. But what they did on accident was they did a bull calling cow's bugle. And they just didn't realize what they were doing. They thought they were doing this little meek spike bugle. They made it real short. And, you know, because maybe that's that was what they were trying to do. But I have heard that time and time and time again of of people that, you know, thought they were doing this spike bugle or a small bull bugle, but they did it real short. They did it with no chuckles, and it worked. So what they actually did is they went in and they talked to the ladies. So I, I absolutely believe that everybody can be successful with this. And how in the world would a bull ever be call shy to that? 
I mean, in the, in the human world, you could have an 85, 90 year old man there with his wife that he's been married to forever. And if you talked inappropriately to that wife, you would still get the same response. Yeah, it makes perfect he sense. He has no, no choice. I mean, the old boy would just get all buckled up and do whatever he could, but he would defend his wife to the death. You know, Joel, there's so much for us to talk about here with elk calling. Um, we're just going to have to do another couple of podcast episodes, but I wanted to shift gears just a bit because I know you deal so much with target panic and, and you know, shot control, and I've talked to you about it before. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago, we talked about it, and can you just walk through a little bit about what you think about target panic and maybe some ways that people can or why they have it and, and go into that a little bit? Well, target panic, shot control is all dealing with the core problem of shooting. And the core problem of shooting is this in a nutshell. Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. It has a self-preservation mechanism that you are born with that shooting anything, rifle, pistol, archery, slingshot, anything that causes your body recoil or somewhat of an explosion, you're born with the two fears. One fear is loud noises, right? If you clap your hands loud over an infant, you will get a head drop and hands come up. And if you were to push somebody over, even a very young human being, if you push them over, they instinctively and involuntarily catch themselves. So it's that core problem of shooting that gets everybody in the, in the malady of target panic. Because think about what we do. Let's say we're a new archer shooting a bow. It's pretty simple, right? You draw back, you aim, you let it go. If you're shooting with a release, you draw back, you aim, and you press the trigger. Easy, right? But when you start out as a new shooter, you are in the cognitive stage of learning. So you're, you're thinking about every little thing that you're doing. You're thinking about your grip and how you're holding your release and, and you know, where your anchor point is and all that stuff. And you're working through this shot in small segments. And then what do you do? You go out and you practice. But if you go out and just practice your shot, your shot goes from the practice stage to the automatic stage. And the problem with automatic movement is that it is, it is connected to this recoil bracing mechanism. If you use automatic movements in your shot, you do nothing to mitigate recoil bracing. And you brace for this recoil before the shot goes off. You've seen it in rifles, right? Somebody forgets to take their safety off. And they're aimed in, they get on that trigger, safety's still on, and you see that the recoil bracing of the body. It's, you know, people call it flinching or whatever. It's your body readying itself for that impact. We don't usually see that in archery because there's no safety on a bow. The bow always goes off and it masks all of the recoil bracing movements that you do. 
So again, the core problem of shooting is that your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. So to get past that, you have to know the control systems that are within your mind that control all of your movements to make sure that you're not just practicing your recoil bracing. And then once you understand those control systems of open and closed loop control systems, you need to know how to concentrate to get into a particular control system and stay in that control system. Keep your mind in a movement, a movement that's slow enough for you to stop or modify anywhere within the movement. And that concentration of that movement takes you through and then and only then can you get true, <coughs> excuse me, true surprise breaks. So that's what I teach in my target panic and shot control clinic. That's what I teach in my tactical bow hunting school. And in particular, in my guide school as well, I teach people how to implement these methodologies onto somebody instantly. And that person, you know, in the, in the guide client situation may not even, the client may not even know what they're doing, but the guide will know everything that's happening in that client's mind. And you can, you'll be able to read stress levels. You'll be able to know exactly what you need to say and what you need to do so that client can be successful. And, uh, you know, when somebody comes to one of my target panic and shock control clinics, they leave <clears throat> in complete control of their shot. They know exactly how they did it so that they can replicate it and they become self-sufficient in the diagnosis and treatment of any mental or physical shooting problems that could occur in the future. So you understand how to practice, what to practice, how to use other people for concentration practice, how to use stress, and all of these things, and it makes an extremely robust shooter that has a very specific plan on how they are going to perform under stress. And when you go out in the elk woods or the deer woods <clears throat> or any of the woods with that confidence and knowing exactly how it's going to go and you know exactly what's going to happen to your body and you know how to fight those things, it makes folks into, uh, you know, just successful people as far as the shooting worlds go. Joel, all of your thoughts and all of the things that you've come up with to help people with their shooting is any of that because you fought some of it yourself have you ever gone through uh some of these target panic and some of these different things um and if not where where did you learn about this stuff i started shooting a bow when i was seven years old <clears throat> by the age of eight i was fully involved in target panic because I went from the cognitive stage, just like everybody, cognitive stage, practice stage, automatic stage. I have been through every gamut of target panic known to mankind. I used to, I can remember the first bull elk that I ever shot at. I snuck up on this bull in a clear cut. And I could not actually put my sight on the target. And, you know, I'd always shot that way. My pin was locked off of target. And I would punch the trigger on my release. At that time, I was shooting with my fingers. But, I mean, 
Jay, I would have to hold like six feet over a target, and then I would drop. I would drop my bow arm in this frantic, frantic attempt to get my arrow on target before my fingers would let go. I have been through everything that these folks have been through, and that is why I can speak I can speak intelligently about it because my life revolves around this stuff. I developed originally the 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 class that I developed originally was called the mental mechanics of shooting. And I developed that class through my firearms instruction at the police academy. I was able to run all kinds of experiments on recruits. I had to get a police officer to figure out how to concentrate on a trigger press when somebody was trying to kill them. And that's very difficult to do, right? But it's just stress. It's stress and it's adrenaline. It's the same thing that that archer experiences when that big bull elk is coming in screaming in their face. They get that adrenaline dump and if they allow their heart rate to get too high, they go into midbrain. The only thing in midbrain is fight or flight training and experience. So your perfect shot doesn't live there in your brain. It lives in the forebrain. So you have to you have to know how to breathe when that bull's coming in. Or if you're at the door ready to kick a door in or whatever, you have to know how to breathe to keep your heart rate down so that you can think. And, you know, I've taken that whole mental mechanics thing became the curriculum at the academy. And then I went a step further. I'm always trying to go one level deeper of why. Why is this working? So I took a class in the advanced concepts of motor learning and performance. And from that class, I was able to make the scientific connections as far as what, you know, when you say something to yourself, what's really going on in your head as far as attentional cues and these control systems that you're using and all this stuff. And I really was able to make those connections. And, you know, I am completely susceptible to this as every human being is. I mean, I, I truly believe there are hunters and then there are those that are successful hunters. And I wasn't a successful hunter. It took me 13 years to kill a bull elk with my bow. I started when I was 14 years old. I did not kill a bull elk until I was 27. Oh, I could call him in just fine, but I couldn't hit him. I mean, a huge bull elk, and I would lose my mind. But now that I know how to concentrate, I know exactly what happens. To, to me and other folks, I'm able to keep my mind right, and now I consider myself a successful hunter. I've killed 11 bulls in the last, in the last 11 years, and uh, the last six have been with a, with a long bow or recurve. So, constantly. and and isn't it true that you actually are, are a really good shot as well? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. <laughs> I mean, with with a lot of different firearms and weapons and yeah. long bows, compound bows. So you've you've basically learned and trained yourself to overcome those issues. Absolutely, I know when I pick up any weapon system. I'm either going to shoot a perfect shot out of that weapon system, be it a sniper rifle, a handgun, a slingshot, a recurve, a longbow, a compound, whatever it is, I will not shoot that shot unless it's perfect. And I know how to keep my movement slow enough so that I can evaluate that and I can catch a bad shot before it ever happens.
and I have practiced so much under stress, you know, I get to constantly, I use everything I can to stress myself out as far as, you know, for concentration practice so that when I get in that big tournament or that big bulls in front of me, I'm able to perform. It's not some, you know, I, I teach people a system, but then at the end of my instruction, I very specifically tell them, you were just given a system, but it's not going to work for you. And they all kind of look like I kicked their puppy or something because they just listened to me for two and a half hours. But the truth of it is, it's not going to work for them. It's just a system. It doesn't do any work. It is the how to do the work. You still have to work for it. And once you change to that mindset, you quit, you quit talking about, yeah, I tried that, but it didn't work for me. Of course it didn't work for you. It was just a new release. It was a new bow. It was a clicker on your recurve. It's not going to work for you. You have to work for it, but you have to know how to do the work. That's awesome stuff, Joel. Um, tell me about Iron Mine Hunting. Uh, tell my listeners where they can find you. I encourage uh, the listeners to go check you out on YouTube and and your website. Tell us where you can where we can find you. So the website is ironmindhunting.com, and I've, I just started my YouTube channel. I've got a kind of a how to be a student of archery. That was my first archery video that I did with it. There's going to be a lot more stuff coming out there. It's all very thought provoking things. I try to make people think about their business. And then I did that bull calling cows bugle segment where I've got some fantastic footage of me calling in a Wyoming 6x6. And he comes in and does the bull calling cows bugle perfectly right into the camera. So as far as email goes, it's joel at ironmindhunting.com. And I'm also on Facebook. And any way you can get at me, come on, and I will answer every question that you can to the best of my ability. Awesome, buddy, and I know we're going to have to have several more podcast episodes because I've got already a list of questions here formulating, and, you know, it's obvious when talking and listening to you or talking to you and asking you questions, it's it's pretty deep stuff. This isn't stuff that everybody's teaching, and this isn't just, you know, on-the-surface stuff. There's a lot to it. Right. And um, when do you do your classes? Um, do you have a schedule on your website? or, or I don't have a schedule yet. I like, uh, you know, people will get a, a group of archers together or a group of sh- rifle shooters, whatever you want, get those folks together, then I fly to them. I also have people fly out to me here in Eatonville. I've got a fantastic range at my place. Uh, for archery stuff, and uh, no set schedule, but I'm I am constantly doing clinics all over the country. So, and then and with the elk calling uh, stuff as well. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, and where are you hunting elk this year? Did you draw anything, or do you have over the counter tags? I have, what? I have over the counter tags. This will be my first year that I'm hunting Idaho, so I'm going to Idaho first. And then I'm going to New Mexico to call for a friend of mine. And then from New Mexico, I'm going to Colorado and going to call for him again, maybe hunt there, uh, depending on what we're finding there. And then I'll be working my way back to Idaho and then back to Washington. We're pretty heavy in the fire danger here in Washington right now, so the woods are pretty closed up. So that's why I'm heading heading out of state. But I do love my, my Washington dark-antlered bulls. 
Yeah, and um, do you hunt primarily uh, rosies there, or do you hunt uh, Rocky Mountain? I hunt mostly what's considered a Cascade Roosevelt. So it's east of I-5, but west of the Cascade Mountains. So I get this mix that makes an awesome bull elk. Dark antlers, incredible mass, huge bodies. It's like the best of both worlds. But all of these calling techniques work for both Rosies and Rocky Mountain. Doesn't make any difference. Elk are elk. Mammals are mammals. And uh, it's, you know, Rosies are pretty cool. I think they're even easier to call in than Rocky Mountain bulls. Very interesting. You st- you're still pressing all your own calls? Absolutely, yes. So I, right. you know, I offer a custom call service. If somebody wants calls, they can simply email me and I, I will hand out up to six prototypes, you know, for different stretches. I'll, I'll give a person up to six prototypes, and then after that they make orders and, and I actually sell them. So. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, um, so you're heading out here pretty soon, or when do you, yep. when, when's your first season? Yep, September 1, I'll be heading out. So hopefully, hopefully be at full draw on September 2nd. Awesome, buddy. Well, I can't wait to talk talk to you after elk season and um it'll be exciting to hear your stories and how you did this season and um hopefully some of my listeners will uh take some of this great info that you've given us and and uh make it work for them and um i encourage all the listeners definitely go check check all the joel stuff out and i want to thank you for being on the podcast and i look forward to speaking with you again okay you bet thanks for having me jay all right buddy take care all right Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.